Hi everyone, this is Steve Hargadon. It is Tuesday, August 4th, and this is the Future of Education. And our guest today is Dave Tosh. Welcome, Dave. Hi there. So uh, I'm going to do some introductions and get us started with some things. But before we do so, I just have to ask, were you doing sit-ups in this picture? Were you celebrating a moment? What was this picture all about? <laughs> uh, I think I was actually pulling my hair out at that <laughs> point in time. Uh, it was in the run-up to version 1.5. And um, yeah, I thought I'd throw it up on my profile as a bit of fun. That is funny. Okay, let me get us started first by telling you what we've got coming up. Uh, August 18th, Howard Rheingold on the Future of Education. On September 15th, Anne Galarin from eTwinning. This should be a very interesting look at the program in Europe they have for connecting classrooms virtually. October 6th, 6th Dennis Litke from Big Picture Schools. September 22nd, oh, I'm out of order there, aren't I? September 22nd, John Seeley Brown. Uh, still on the schedule but not uh, confirmed yet, School 2.0, are we ready to talk about it? Future of Student Journalism with some folks from PBS, Educational Town Hall Meetings with some folks from Edutopia, and lots more. And then there is a new interview series at conversations.net on the impact of the Internet on culture and society. Tomorrow I'm interviewing my own brother uh, on innovation. August 12th, Dan Schauble on personal branding. On August 25th, the founder of Pandora on uh, where music is going and copyright and those sorts of issues. And then September 9th, Jane Nelson of Positive Discipline fame on Parenting 2.0. Uh, I want to give a little bit of a plug for our own new social network, LearnCentral.org. Uh, please feel free to visit it. Three kind of fun features from Learn Central. Uh, Facebook like and scope, helping you find other educators and gather together with them who have similar interests. Um, illuminate and event calendaring baked in and content sharing. And I'm sure Dave's going to talk about EduSpaces. So you'll have lots of resources when the show is done. Uh, if this is your first time in Illuminate, I did want to give you a quick overview of uh, how to use it. Um, you've got, uh, you should see on the top left a box with the participants, a growing list of participants now up to 45. Uh, you can, um, if you hover over a participant's name, sometimes if they put information, you can see more information about them. Um, below that participant window, you see some little emoticons that give you some options for participating. The big one with the green arrow up is raising your hand if you want to ask Dave a question. Uh, just to the right of that are four smaller ones, um, a smiley face, a clapping hand, a confused look, or a thumbs down. You're certainly welcome to use those as well to express your feelings during the show. Below that is a box for chat, uh, and you can send messages to the whole group. You'll also notice if you click on the drop-down window below the chat box, you can send a message to another individual privately in the chat, but do be aware that both Dave and I will see those private messages. They're not fully private. Um, and then we have the whiteboard, which is where you're seeing this uh, quick orientation box. And I'm going to give you permissions to the whiteboard in just a second so that you can tell us where you're listening from. Um, some people do like to change the layout, and you can do that by going up to Tools. I'm sorry, go to View Layouts, and I particularly prefer the wide layout, which expands the chat box. But that's a way of um, changing the layout on your screen. Okay, so I'm not going to give you the tools to modify the whiteboard, and I'll show you why that you would want to do that. This is a map of the world. 
To the left of the map is a little red, a little wand with a red star at the end. And if you see that that wand with a star, go ahead and click it, and then click on the map where you're listening from. So it looks like two in the UK. How fun! Someone in Hawaii, maybe. Maybe one or two in Canada. Good crowd today. We're going to move on. If you are in the United States, feel free to do the same thing here. Just click on where you are in the U.S. or U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Well, not globally geographic, but at least with North America, fairly uh, geographically dispersed. Wherever you're listening from, we're sure glad to have you here. Uh, Dave has a limited amount of time today, so we're just going to get right to it. We have a half an hour instead of our normal hour, but he's under some, some pressures that I'm sure he'll tell you about. So Dave, would you uh, just give sort of a short history of yourself and of the ELK project? Sure. Um, okay, I mean, ELK started in 2004 uh, whilst I was a PhD student at the University of Edinburgh. And uh, I met, there was a colleague of mine there, Ben Wordmuller, who we shared an office with, uh, and we ended up talking. I was researching ePortfolios, actually, at the time. And as a postgrad student, I logged on to the offering that the University of Edinburgh had, which was um, one of the major uh, LMS systems. And there was nothing there for me. I mean, I was the only postgraduate student in the education department doing what I was doing. Um, so it was a bit like sitting in a silo. I could talk to myself, but that was about it. So we came up and I thought, right, how are we going to um, change this? And we decided to put out a blog. So I started my first blog back in 2004 and was disseminating bits of my research and instantly started making connections to others around the world. And it was at that point that the penny really dropped for me in terms of when you're looking at learning environments or situations within an institution, uh, schools or whatever, that having something that was actually cross-discipline um, would make more sense than what we had, which was every, every course was in its own silo. So that became the start of ELG. We put it, started coding this up. Uh, and released it as just a proof of concept. There was never any intention to have a business or to, to you know, that this was going to grow like it has. Um, but it did, and uh, that really changed the course of um, where I was going. Instead of going in to become a grad student, ended up uh, running a company and um, being the CEO of ELG. And so that's really how it started. Then over the next couple of years, it got prominence within, you know, it was getting picked up here and there within education, but uh, it wasn't really until it started moving out of education that it became a vi more of a viable business. And I think uh, that's where we had to make a decision to rewrite the code base, which we, some, if, if some of you know about ELG, you may have followed. It was released in August last year. Um, and on the new platform, now we're just seeing the growth of ELG rising like we've never seen before. I think that also coincides with when ELG first came out. Facebook, MySpace, Twi I mean, Twitter didn't exist. Uh, Facebook, nobody knew about it apart from the, the kids at Harvard that were using it. And MySpace was just starting to come on the radar. Whereas now, social technology is widely, is, is, is widely adopted. People are engaging with it. And it's become the right time to talk about this. So that's really where we're at. Dave, did you call it social networking originally? Uh, 
No, it was really we we were sitting. I mean, I still I still struggle a little with the name at the moment because it's not for me. You know, social networking just occurs. It occurs whether you're offline, online, or whatever. It's just a t it's, it's it, for me. It's all about having lightweight tools that help you collaborate, find others, work with them. So no, we didn't. When it first came out, Elk was not labeled as a social networking platform. It was more as a e-portfolio tool, actually. So have you? Um are you hearing good alternatives of what to call this kind of uh, networking? I mean, I hear every once in a while people call it educational networking. Do you ever use that phrase? Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, what we've got, for example, we do a lot of work with the University of Brighton, and there, um, this somebody there who's Stan Stanier, who's really heading up their work, came up with a phrase that was a shared learning environment. And lately, that's more, you know, uh, bending into a social learning environment. It's not a bad term, I suppose, for for universities. But uh, yeah, that's that's what we get. So why don't you give a little bit of a plug for the conference coming up? And interestingly enough, doesn't that doesn't that talk about social media and education? The idea for this conference, um, I mean, we were going to be doing an L camp anyway within uh, some at some point in the U.S. And uh, I met some folks in Boston at Harvard who were doing some really good work with Elk. In fact, they had this one course had decided to move for the first time away from a traditional VLE, and they ran the entire course on Elg and it, it sort of triggered off some thoughts, well maybe we should be in there just talking a bit more and finding out more from folks who are using this on the front line and uh, so I got talking to them uh, and then the conference came about and um, that's it. I mean actually on the, it's, there's two days to this conference and day one is not about Elg, Elg sponsors it but it's more about, we've got people there talking about using Ning in the classroom, Twitter, some people with experience of Elg. Um, but it's more looking at social technology and seeing how it can be applied to an educational context. On day two, that's all about Alice and Elg camp. So it's uh, for those who are actually interested in, in what Elg can offer. I've just dropped the link into the chat for anybody who's interested in that. I, uh, I would easily drop other things to go and be there, but I have a speaking commitment um, that same weekend that I <coughs> excuse me can't get out of. So it really looks like it's going to be uh, a good event. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, we've, I've been quite surprised by the numbers, um, but you know, there's some good speakers coming across, and I think I think there is a lot of interest in this space in general. And what the sense I'm getting from folks who are coming to this conference is they're looking not just to discuss it. But actually, what are solutions that they can apply? What are some of the case studies that people are already undertaking? What can they learn from those, and how can we actually move forward? Because, as we all know, social technology is in it in most walks of life really is making inroads. And the question is now, how does it apply, rather than is it going to apply? So, Dave, talk a little, if you would, about um, Elk as an open source project, um, what that means, and why you've done it. And, and then um, if you'd like, we can actually pull up a website to so be thinking of what we could pull up to actually look at maybe some of the features and functionalities. Well, so when we came out and when we started with Elg, I mean, the open source made sense for us because it was a proof of concept. And there was always that thing, if anyone did want to pick it up and use it, um, 
you know, the, the whole idea fits. They can come in, they can uh, collaborate, and together we can maybe build a, a better solution. And so for, for our perspective, it's very important. I mean, one of the dilemmas, and this is something I'll be talking about at this Boston event, is, and mo a lot of institutions and schools and school districts will be facing this now, is uh, do they go and use the commercial web services, things like Twitter and Facebook and so forth, or do they roll their own um, using tools like Drupal and WordPress and Elk, Moodle and so forth? And I think this is, this is something that people are battling with. And uh, from my perspective, I think it's, it's very important that you know who controls your data, who has access to your data, what's happening with the networks that you're using. So the whole open source ethos underpins that. And that's why, um, for me, it's important that Alex is an open source product. So it sounds like a combination not only of allowing people to expand from the code base, but also because you, can, um, you are able to run it on your own servers and run it locally. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I mean, you can have complete control over uh, everything that happens to it. If, and if you know, you can get access fully to the data. There's not a problem with that. It, it that comes, of course, with the flip side that you actually have to have some knowledge to set it up, which, of course, is a barrier to entry for some. But yeah, I think I, I think it's important to have to have that open ethos with your the networks you're using. So we're using Drupal to uh, code for Learn Central. What's your compare contrast between Elg and Drupal? Well, um, in my opinion, it's I think Drupal's a great product. I mean, it's one of, alongside I think maybe Joomla and WordPress. Those guys are setting the the path that smaller projects like ourselves learn from uh, and follow. I think the difference with Drupal is. It's it's always been and traditionally was a, it's a content management system. So it centers around content first and is adding social features second. And it does a it does a lot of things. No doubt it's very powerful. Where Elg comes in, hopefully we're providing something that's a lot more lightweight, centers around the user rather than content. And what we're aiming to do is out of the box have it deliver what people are looking for. Uh, or at least deliver most of what people are looking for on a social platform. So are you seeing some good adoption in education? I'm thinking of uh, Jim Klein at Saugus Union, who I know uses ELG uh, pretty widely. Do you have a, you know, um, any way of measuring your adoption in education? It's a difficult one to answer. I mean, from the beginning of ELG, we were never, um, I don't know if you want to call it smart enough or whatever, to put uh, we, we never track who uses ELG and who downloads it or anything. So we rely uh, completely on people approaching us and telling them what they're doing with ELG, and then we can link up to it. But we are seeing, I think you've got two sides. You've got people like Jim Klein uh, in California who's doing a great job pioneering a lot of this, these technologies. You've also got in this country, in the UK, the University of Brighton, who have got a very uh, forward-thinking policy. I mean, they think they were the first university, I believe, worldwide to actually run with an open social network across the entire campus. And we're seeing more and more incidents like what is happening at Harvard with the course who are experimenting with actually moving their their uh, learning environment from a structured VLE into an ELG-type uh, situation, an ELG-type product. And I think um, so. It's rising, but I don't have a good num a good number on the figures. It's um, but it, it seems to be a fair few. There's a question in the chat about how Elg might compare to Moodle. 
uh, I think there are completely different uh, pieces of software with different purposes. I mean, Moodle's been is uh, what we would call here a course management system. Uh, it's for delivering courseware. It's a place for people. It's structured around courses, whereas Elg is a freeform platform. There is no concept of roles. There's no concept of courses. It's just an open environment for everyone to come in, create a space, and interact with each other. So I think they could complement each other, definitely. But there's no real comparison between the two, in my opinion. Is there a website we could pull up that would give people a good sense of uh, Elk's capabilities? Elk.org, on the About page, can list some of the features. but. Um, this is the, the thing about ELG is most of the uh, networks running it are behind walled gardens of schools, colleges, universities, and businesses. So I can't point you to any live sites if you like. But you can go to ELG.org and on the About page, when you scroll down there, you'll see some of the core features that ELG comes uh, bundled with. So those of you looking at that web tour, you'll have to do the scrolling down yourself. Uh, <coughs> I can get you to the page, but you have to scroll down. Dave, tell me a little bit about EduSpaces. Um, EduSpaces started uh, again in 2004 as a space for, I mean, we were looking, we set it up actually as a demo of ELG uh, so people could come along and see what ELG could offer. Um, then it then grew quite a bit, uh, and I think now it's well. It's last it's got about 22,000 members on it. However, we there was a point there where we were moving away, well, not moving away from education, but focusing on other markets as well, and we weren't sure quite what to do with uh, EduSpaces. So we've just let it kind of hang on the vine a little bit. Um, but now it's it's uh, one of those things that we're looking to see how we can wrap back into the fold because it runs an old version of ELG at the moment. But it was always just set up as a demo site and I think the problem that occurred was all of a sudden we had classes and courses and people in there actually using it and it was never intended to be. It was just a place to dive in and see what ELG could offer. So we're still not sure quite how to handle that but I'm sure we'll get a solution soon. So Faisal has a question about ownership of improvements and customization, which is a, a, maybe has a little bit of complexity to it. Um, it, it. I don't know if you can see it in the chat there, Dave, but he's saying, how does ownership of improvements and customizations work in, the, in that context of ELG as an open source project? If you develop ELG with additional plugins or change existing plugins significantly, how do you balance sharing that with the community while also keeping control or ownership of specific advances. How would you answer that? Hold on, let me just go and read this here. To be honest with you, I'm not really sure what, I mean, what, what exactly is it that, that, uh, that you're asking? Um, for example, if you if you're, Developing additional plugins um, and it's, or changing them. How do you balance sharing that with the community? Uh, I'm not. I'm sorry. I don't really follow the question. Could you elaborate so I'm gonna, a little bit more? I'm going to interrupt Dave and move us on because I think the question actually gets to the heart of open source software and maybe is not specific to L, but the, you know, basically building on the shoulders of giants. I mean, I think your hope would be if there's a if there's an improvement to ELG, or a plugin or advancement that that would get shared back with the community. But let's move on. And, and, and given that you have a limited amount of time, 
the next question is of interest to me. How does L compare with NANG? And, and let's expand that a little and talk about the features of the, of the programs we're calling social networking and their value in an educational environment. Um, well, okay. So, I mean, this is this is quite a common thing that we uh, people that come to ELG will, will ask. And I think first and foremost, with Ning, um, there's an e easy setup, right? Anybody can come along, create a network, and be up and running uh, in well minutes. Uh, whereas with ELG, you do have to go through a little bit of work of getting that installed, getting a server environment, and so forth. I think feature set-wise, what Ning offers is some nice a nice tool set for generic social networking. I mean that you, that is kind of the Ning mantra. We come along and everybody can create a social network, and the features that they offer, things like photo galleries and so forth, are what you know 90% of people who may want to have a basic social network would require. However, with ELG, what we feel we're going to be offering is we're working very closely with the likes of the University of Brighton to develop a tool set that is very specific for that educational need. And uh, that includes things on the, in the pipeline just now, like a powerful presentation tool, collaborative uh, collab document collaboration, full file repository to share different file types, things that Ning just can't offer at the moment. And I think, so it comes down to more generic feature set that I think Ning offers versus where we're going with ELG, which is going to be specialist specialist features for a specific market. Hope that answers the question. It does, and I think uh, um, I do hear that a lot. People will ask about the difference between ELG and Ning, and I think again, if we if we kind of shift back in the conversation a little, you know, the, one of the big differences is that you can run ELG, uh, you know, in your own contained environment um, and keeping all of your your student data private. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, one of the, the things that we're working on just now is actually a hosted version of ELG that will be, we hope, as easy as Ning is to set up. And as soon as that becomes available, it will have the added advantage that if somebody starts rolling this on the hosted solution and then at any point in time wants to migrate off that hosted service to their own, behind their own firewall and their own services, it's not a problem because the whole thing is underpinned by open source software. And what we will be offering in the hosted version is exactly the same as what you'd be able to get open source. If we go back to your about page, I've, I've, on the web tour I've skipped back to the ELG about page. Um, and we look at the features, and I'm scrolling down, and you'll have to individually scroll down, but profile, notifications, groups, blog, embedded media files, pages. You know, a lot of these feature sets uh, come with a little bit of baggage from MySpace and Facebook and other social networking sites where people got nervous about them. Do, how do you commonly kind of talk to people about the feature sets of ELG as they relate to uh, pedagogical or educational value? That's not really an area that I, I'd, when it comes to the pedagogical value of ELG or, how, or learning design or how it can help with students directly, that's not my area of expertise. So what, I, what we do or what I'll talk to you about is, is things like what the technology can offer, what we feel it offers, but then we'll turn to people who are experts in that area to uh, get their advice on, on the issues that, like around pedagogy and so forth. So. Um, I'm not really sure I can elaborate too much on on that question. So that's a good fair answer. What about Curve Rider? Would you want to describe uh, Curve Rider's role in all of this? 
Yeah, I mean, Curve Rider is the uh, is the legal entity behind uh, Elk. I mean, Elk, Elk started off as a project, as a product, and Curve Rider. When, when it became apparent that there may be an opportunity for this to do to do this as a business, then uh, Curve we had to set up a legal entity, and that was Curve Rider, uh, and that's really it. I mean, if anyone was doing commercial contracts with us or whatever, it would be Curve Rider they're doing business with, but the product is Elk. It's very similar to WordPress, where the company is automatic and the product is WordPress. Fun to see Biz Stone and your list of um, advisors. Uh, who else is helping you that you feel like you'd like to give a shout out to? Well, we've got the, uh, the two guys that really have helped a lot are Jim Klein and Stan Stanier at the University of Brighton because the way that Elk, Elk did start in an educational background but has branched out and as it does branch out it becomes, you know, we can no longer be sure that we're hitting the right domains uh, so we rely on people within those domains to feed back to us and make sure that Elk's going to be you know, have the feature set they require and so forth and uh, so people like Stan and Jim are invaluable to us. Okay, so four minutes left. Uh, while you're formulating questions, I just want to make sure that you uh, know that we are giving our thanks to Illuminate um, and Learn Central for sponsoring the Future of Education web series. I will put up a link to the um, evaluation for today's show. A half hour seems very fast when we're used to an hour, and clearly there's a lot to talk to Dave about. But let's do some final questions if you have any. Uh, and um, and I'll put the survey linked up while we're we're doing that. And Dave, again, this is going to go up in a window, so please don't um, close it down because if you close it down, it closes for everybody. Okay, Scott, don't worry, it is recorded, so you'll be able to see the recording. Okay, question, Dave, your vision, your vision for the future of social networking. Gosh, how long do I have to answer that one? Um, I, I think what, what's going to be there's a few there's a few key items that I think are, are exceptionally important. One is going to be identity management. Um, as we get more and more and more of these networks springing up in different contexts, is I want to be able. You, you, we all know how we get fed up signing into yet another network. So being able to control your identity and control where you can go with that identity and who sees what is going to be vital. I, I think personally that data ownership and having control over what it is you're putting into these networks is uh, is, is very important. I mean, it's, it staggers me often how, many, how much people would just throw into a service like Facebook and never think about it. Um, so I've had to say two things, it'd be that. Yeah, in many ways I use my social networking almost like a you know, like a catalog or a file folder of things that I'm writing about and interested in. And, and I think I really would, uh, I'd feel awkward or would miss a substantial amount of that material if it somehow um, ceased to be mine. Yeah, I think that the ownership over what you, what you produce and uh, what you output is, is important. So there's a question in the chat about getting the link to the recording. If you've come in late and you weren't able to hear the whole recording, and it is only a half-hour show today, so I apologize, but uh, it will be it's at futureofeducation.com, and just click through to the link for Dave. So Dave, uh, one minute left. Was there anything you wanted to tell us about or to talk about that you didn't get a chance to? Uh, why are you on a deadline today? 
Oh, we're on it. Yeah, that's sorry about that. That was a, a clash in my calendar. But the um, well, we're just putting out uh, Elk 1.6, a release candidate will go out uh, as soon as I finish this show, and um, it's just it's just a release candidate. So it's for a bug fix uh, version of Elk, but that's that was the reason for this the, the short show today. Okay, well, Dave, thank you for your time. Great to hear from you. Hopefully, we'll we'll get a chance to visit again later. I'm going to hit the clapping button here, which indicates for Dave that I'm clapping. He is in the UK, and so he's um, some number of hours ahead of us. What time is it there, Dave? 7:30. So thanks for taking uh, some of your evening on a rush day to talk with us. Uh, so again, it's uh, elg e l g g dot org. Uh, and there are links in the chat to the to different places. Please uh, do fill out that survey and then join us again. I'm going to go back to the beginning of the show and I can show we've got coming up again. Howard Rheingold on the 18th, uh, Ann Galeran, John Seeley Brown, Dennis Lipke. Tomorrow, an interview with my own brother on innovation at the new Conversations.net interview series. So thanks for coming, Dave. Thanks everybody for being here today. Sure appreciate um, this opportunity to talk with you, Dave, and have a great evening and hope everything goes well. All right, thanks a lot, Steve. Okay, so we'll stay in the room for a couple of minutes. Uh, Dave should feel free to leave, and Dave, just do so by exiting. Uh, if you have any questions or you want to keep talking, uh, please feel free to do so for a couple of minutes, but then we'll close the room out in order for the recording of the process. And the recording should be up later today.